to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club live this Wednesday night. Live and dangerous. I'm Glenn Falcon, Slamber Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. I have replaced my Red Bull with something more fantastical. Yeah, the Film Fight Club is powered by all sorts of energy drinks, and Glenn like, always uh, gives us this side eye about how how terrible we are indulging in unhealthy behavior. Exactly, like yeah, watching Marvel movies. Yeah, but but now we have uh, this this new energy drink. We're not going to do advertising here on Two SCR, <laughs> but let's just say that it comes in a bright bottle with a, a nice tropical new flavor and it's all natural ingredients. And, and it's available at all convenience stores, very conveniently. At, at quality convenience stores. So let's see if it, it adds a special kick to this week's episode of Film Fight Club. If we ever run out of films to review, I promise we will review energy drinks every I, week. Yeah, we, can no. do a, we can do a brand power revival. Honestly. Da, 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 <laughs> like the, helping you buy better. The, the I'm all about line, that. No, no, honestly, the tagline is sharpened the mind <laughs> so it is definitely doing the job because i feel very sharp right now unlike marvel movies apparently the big debate happening in the world of cinema which we'll be talking about later in the program they're not are, edgy enough are, are they are they cinema are they not i think there's maybe a not a consensual is that his opinion here all right edge lords of consensual. marvel consensus is what i meant to say. <laughs> i was looking for the plural but <laughs> consensus no, cons- all opinions here are not, consensual I'm, look chris evans is not going to see Another like I'm not giving my consent to watch another Marvel film. Exactly. I'm not giving my consent for my brain to be invaded by that crap. Exactly. But, no, no means no. But we are giving our consent and approval for is another film that is coming out tomorrow, which is Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory. Consent definitely, <laughs> definitely given. Yes, given. explicitly. Yes. It comes out tomorrow. We saw it originally at the Australian premiere at the Sydney Film Festival where it screened. It was screened at Queer Screen earlier in the yeah, year. Yeah, I saw it again. Yeah, I saw it twice now. <laughs> it is the new film from El Moldova. It is starring Antonio Banderas as Salvador Malo and as well as Penelope Cruz. It is an autobiographical film in many respects about a director late in his career looking to revisit both aspects of his early film career, potentially maybe make another film, he's not sure, but also exploring aspects of his childhood and earlier, as it is depicted here, very romantic life. What did we think of Amodavar's latest? It's funny how in the film his character sort of talks about the nature of autofiction and then, oh, no, 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 I don't want to make a film that's too autobiographical. And yet Almodovar has kind of cheekily given Antonio Banderas's character the exact same very distinctive haircut that he does. There's all sorts of uh, parallels. Almodovar had a uh, 30-second anniversary screening of a film a comedy film from earlier in his career yeah um at the cinematheque in madrid so it's clear that this is an autobiographical film and it's quite personal to almodovar um in that it's drawing on aspects of his life i mean we can only speculate about to what degree this is directly autobiographical but it feels so genuine and lived in and the real takeaway from for me from this film is the wisdom that with which he's approached the subject matter because it's dealing with a lot of uh, subjects that could come across as indulgent um, and wallowing in misery uh, with a less deft hand or could even come across as just you know really heavy because the pain in the title is talking about how he suffers from chronic pain he has migraines he has all sorts of physical ailments 
Um, he, he doesn't like to bend over anymore because of his back pain. It's, it goes on and on and on. So this could, could have easily been a miserable experience. And it's yet, so far from it. yeah, it's, it's dealt with this lightness and this kind of um, old man looking at the things that happen in life with a degree of, of humor you know, it's such a smooth um, watching experience. It feels, um, as I said, it feels light and it feels like it's been made with an audience in mind. It's very fast paced. And um, yeah, he knows how to play all the cards. Yeah, what's what's beautiful about this film is, is especially, and you know, people who aren't aware of Banderas and uh, Almodovar's partnership might be surprised by how good Banderas is in this film. Yeah, oh God. He is astounding and... The ability for him to shift between the comic and the very, you know, uh, sardonic, and then change to a very serious kind of mood—it's fantastic. And the the beautiful part about it is, and you're talking about wallowing in misery and Almodovar being indulgent. What I liked about this film was that it was actually indulgent, and the film called for it. So there is the temperament of this movie is very much about you know. It allows for that kind of personal story to be told in that way because a lot of Almodovar's recent films have suffered because of that, that he's going off on tangents. Giulietta is a great example of that where it just kind of, you know, completely crash-landed for me because of how it just went into different tangents. But in this film, it works precisely because of that personal angle and how the personal story is told. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because watching this film a second time a couple of weeks back... um, I, I was thinking of Julieta. Julieta is found based on a whole bunch of short stories, and so it, it kind of, as you said, it goes on this kind of tangential narrative through line uh, where it's bouncing around from incident to incident, and it never quite came together. But you can tell that he's he's experimenting with that kind of form. He's gone back to that well, and this time made it work completely because there are a bunch of disparate-seeming um, plot threads, and yet thematically they all tie together and work in this package. I love that Julieta was brought up. We saw this a few years ago at the Sydney Film Festival. It's a film I actually really liked until the very end. It didn't have an ending. And no, this is I the agree. converse opposite of that because the ending, we're not going to ruin it. It has a beautiful, simple, found a way to tie it up moment. And it's worth sitting through multiple times just for that. I agree that it's an autobiographical and a very autobiographical one at that. But more than that, it is universally relatable. Yeah. How we see the character go through these relationship dramas, the pain and longing. Yes, we are seeing an elite figure. We are seeing a figure who has done well in life and is somewhat removed from many of the characters it depicts in films. But it is showing a director and and as reflected in Almodova, who as far as he has gone alive, as many as big a house as he may live in, that he can still tell incredibly relatable and human stories. Yes. Look, I, um, to be indulgent, to go on the theme of indulgent, here's my childhood story. Now, um, <laughs> my, my dad, when I was little, instilled in me a distrust of what he calls writers writing about writers. He's just like, oh, it's so indulgent. You know, there's so many stories to tell in the world. Basically I'm, every Tom Stoppard play ever. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. more that so many just go through it as a default. I'm going to make a film a about fan. Go myself. Figure. Oh, Stoppard has a lot of great material in Perfect Fairness. Apparently, it's a good production of The Real yeah, Thing. Yeah, The Real on. Thing, yes. It was fantastic, actually, yeah. But anyways, sidetrack. As what Glenn was saying is right. Despite, um, I, for the record, God, I don't think writers writing about writers is inherently bad, but it's a thin line. A lot of people slip into that kind of indulgence. Here, I don't think this is just a film that people who love cinema can enjoy because, as Glenn says, it's so relatable. He's using the idea of I'm a filmmaker to bounce off into stories. 
And so it's stories about, you know, the great love that went away or the, a defining moment in my childhood, it, or, you know, or professional successes. It's not just inside baseball. This is a story for people in the entertainment industry. Like I was saying before, he's really thinking of the audience with this film. But it does a lot more than this is my favorite thing about it. We discussed it last year in the context of Portrait of a Lady on Fire and how does a similar thing. I believe Pain and Glory does it exceptionally well in that it explores the idea of how and to what extent film can simulate or recreate life. Can it do it? Yep. And it poses a very clear thesis on it, which I agree with. And as I referred to earlier, it poses a very elegant thesis on it. We see moments, recreations of his childhood. And more than that, these moments, uh, particularly one scene involving um, scenes involving bathing, are stunningly filmed. It reminded me of some of the best sequences of the Italian neorealism of the 60s and what Fellini came up with in some of these more extravagant pieces. But here, um, the where the thematic reach of those films, and this is so broad, he distill, distills it down to very basic, bare human moments, but in, imbues it with this classical, stunning romanticism, which you don't often see in modern films. And certainly I haven't seen in many of his films in recent years. I, I like The Skin I Live In. It's a very different type of film, but this is such a great it's, work it feels far like and his above. most romantic film for me since Talk to Her, I think. That we, uh, no, or, yeah. yeah, or Skin I Live In. I, I, Probably I, talk to her. I would agree with, but also one of the other things, which is, you know, Omodovar's uh, strength is framing and the kind of the colors he brings to, on the screen. Which the, the basically because of color is stunning. Because he, he draws them out. He basically storyboards his scene and he himself draws them out very much. And in this film, it worked particularly well because the kind of colors he chooses are so vibrant and they kind of really undercut some of the somber moments. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's interesting because the colors are so vibrant and they make you feel so light and effervescent. And yet sometimes the scenes are quite morose. And it's interesting how that juxtaposition and contrast really brings about conflicting emotions as when you're watching it. They're eye-popping colors, but yet it never feels too garish. Yeah, it, it's, it's never always campy. It's, it's, it's not campy. It's not campy at all. Mm. It, it's weird how... And it's a very Almodovar touch. But in a lot of other films, that feels indulgent. But here, it's somehow, you know, everything is working towards one purpose. Yes. Thinking about this film, it feels very simple. But when you unpack it, there's so much going on. What you were saying before about the kind of thesis about how cinema tells the story. Like I was saying, you could watch this film and and think about it just on the personal level and not as a thesis on cinema if you wanted to. And yet, he is also talking about how memories are intrinsically a creation in your mind and and if you're an artist the act of remembering is is almost the same as the act of artistic creation and it seems there's like so a, much going on here and it seems like a basic idea that filmmakers would want to let across but very few actually do and even fewer do it well he mm. does as did Skiama earlier this year um, two other things I loved about the film Chris earlier in the year spoke about how it's a film of great empathy I thoroughly agree it's remarkable to see a film where characters it's not simply a matter of there being no good characters not being stratified as good or bad but no one is judged by the director by the lens which I really appreciated and something we haven't spoken about this we've mentioned that we haven't spoken about her Penelope Cruz this is one of my favorite performances of her, of her to date you know um we, we earlier on Vrat was talking about how good Banderas is and you've brought up how great Penelope Cruz was the other actors who um I don't know the names of because they're not international stars the, the mother um but also everyone the lover the actor the, yeah, Glenn's oh, going to yeah, be a good, yeah, a good yeah, host. The lover, like, actually, you know. They were, these, he was they just were there in that one, one sequence, and he left an indelible mark because yeah. he just had that much screen time to play with, and yet, yeah. you know, he felt real. Same as <laughs> same as the, the actor. 
Yes. Well, yeah. The, we'll, we'll look, yeah, the actor you're referring to, the actress we heard earlier was Julieta Serrano, uh, the young man uh, Cesar Vincente, and the actor um, Asia Extendal. He was the, yes, Asta Extendal. Sorry yeah. for ruining all the names. Yeah. And apologies. We, yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> we tried. We didn't prepare enough. But, uh, <laughs> you were very good. But all of the. Sorry, yeah, Pedro. Every, everyone is incredible in this film. Um, and to speak earlier of the, the actor playing an actor, um, man, there, there's some laugh out loud comedy in their sequences yeah, yeah, that actually, we haven't even touched yeah, on. Yeah, we, 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 we're pitching this as a somber film, but yeah. it's not. It's, no, it's actually it's a really funny movie. film. It's uplifting, but subtly so. Yeah, and yeah. It, it bounces from the somber to the bittersweet, tragic, gently uplifting. And it, it's a very hopeful film with a really optimistic viewpoint on life that is articulated in a way that feels genuine. Some of my favorite scenes in this film uh, were when he's experimenting with... Uh, how should we call it? Uh, alternate he's, substances. He's experimenting with drugs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not endorsing this. We're just commenting on it. But but it's interesting how you know the very first experience, and then that becomes a pain but management. Even that, in, you know. But if, just to think about that that aspect of the film, he's able to look upon like like convey the character's joy about it and some humor about the situation, and also the danger of it, and and how he needs yeah. to move away from it. The, the, without ever making the film feel like a lecture. Yes. It's, it's, there's it's, such it's, a it's, lightness of touch. Yeah, it's, it's not about don't do drugs, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like there's, wis- there's a wisdom in the way that yeah. this approaches all of the subjects that it addresses. Um, and yeah, Banderas is amazing. There's so much subtlety. Like it, you can take his performance for granted, but he's expressing l- small amounts of regret and small amounts of pain. And he's expressing a desire to hide what's really going on inside and project. Yeah. Banderas with, with Almodovar is a yeah. different oh, person, yeah. not even a different actor. I just feel and like... You know, go back and watch The Skin I Live In if you haven't. It's a very oh, different so good film. In that. It's a very good very film. Very good Also, film. dark comedic elements in... Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I think, you know, Banderas is in the same boat as... Uh, probably not in the same boat entirely, but similar boat as Adam Sandler doing Punch Drug Love and now Uncut Gems well, you need, Safety yeah, Brothers. With, with the right, with the right uh, person to bring it out and the right creative collaboration and relationship I feel like all sorts of actors have these great performances in them Um, last comment on this on his performance the opening shot of this and one that's in many publicity materials is the shot of him uh, submerged in water and this is something you see uh, in many, many films. We even saw it in Booksmart earlier this year, but it's done much that's better. It's shot comparison. beautifully. Yeah, that's, I'm saying it's there's a lot better this than Booksmart. Book yeah. um, and <laughs> in every way. And even though that might seem a hackneyed device in film, it's done here distinctly and stunningly, well, as be- is so much. Because of, of the lightness of touch, yeah. that kind of heavily symbolic image could have come across as really leading and okay, we're in Euro art film territory. Here we go. Film <laughs> festival. Art, but it's good. But it's good. Yeah. Film. It's the but, reason why you go to film festivals for Euro art films. It's not just another like festival filler lead in I am a serious artist. But it, it is interesting how so bright day. Yeah, it's interesting how so many of our favorite films this year have played with this concept of memory, actually. Yep. You know, you have Pain and Glory, you have Portrait of a Lady, the souvenir. you have Souvenir, and Synonyms as well. And synonyms, it, yeah. So, yes, yeah. Which is playing at the Jewish Film Festival next Monday night at yes. Grand Regrets. Yeah, yeah. 8.45 it's a fantastic PM. film. Do catch it if you haven't seen it already. It's, it's yeah, a really good, interesting good, film. Good kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. So that is Pain and Glory. It'll feature highly on our top 10 list when we debate them later. Coming out of Netflix, Netflix very soon. So. Yeah, but it's but out see it in, in, see it in cinemas. cinemas see it in cinemas, yeah. Don't, don't. Yeah, um, it's playing at the Ritz. It's playing at the Dendi Palace. Hayden Orpheum. Hayden Orpheum. Yeah, yeah go, most go, art houses, go, I would say. Go see it. It's great. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment talking about something that apparently is not cinema, according to Martin Scorsese and many other prominent directors. 
Marvel? Including El Modivar. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Did you know federal government departments have the power to stop you hearing and reading what they don't want you to know? They can approve the terms for huge sales of agricultural land to foreign companies, but you're not allowed to know. And federal police can raid journalists' homes for reporting the truth if it says you're not allowed to know. Could this happen in Australia? It's happening now. Find out what they don't want you to know at yourrighttoknow.com.au Authorised by Australia's Right to Know Sydney. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. Uh, and we are talking all things Marvel Cinema. Is it cinema? Is it not? Marvel um, Cinema. Tick universe. But not cinema. <laughs> not cinema. A month ago, Martin Scorsese did an interview with Empire where, as an, more as an aside than anything else, he was asked to comment on Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he made a number of comments, including that it was more like a theme park, it is not cinema, as he knows it. He's seen a few of them, but it is not his temperament. In an op-ed in the New York Times yesterday, he clarified a few of those comments and also doubled down on a few of them, establishing what his view of cinema was, also in the context of The Irishman, which is in cinema's tomorrow yeah. you know, for a brief cinematic run saying yes I aware that I've published I'm produced the film for Netflix but you know what I wanted to screen as many films as possible and Netflix allowed me to do what I want, wanted to do so with Netflix since Mons Scorsese made his initial comments many prominent directors including Ken Loach and Pedro Moldova as has been mentioned have come out in support and even much gone much further than Scorsese and we're here to delve into this most well, Moldova even said that oh, yeah, uh, Marvel movies are not horny enough. He's completely right. This is a, <laughs> kind of a tangential rant before we get into the meat of what Scorsese is saying with his new op-ed. But, ha, he, like... <clears throat> all right. <laughs> Brace yourself. Chris yeah. is ready to talk about Marvel. Go! Look, mass entertainment these days, Almodovar is right, is so completely sexless. Like, if you... I saw somebody responding to what Almodovar said, and they were like... You know, compare Batman in the '80s to Batman now. Batman in the '80s had some some like erotic pull about him, right? Like you could believe that he would he would intentionally seduce someone. Yeah, Batman I mean, now Val Kilmer, no. yeah, um, doing with Nicole Kidman. Yeah, or Indiana Jones, right? I'm not I'm not saying everything about the way these characters was, was depicted was good or that I endorse it, but I do think that it's sad that today we're afraid to show anyone you know, like lusting after someone or, or having, you know, re- romantic love beyond like the most chaste G-rated thing. But like, like things- it has to be accessible to every family and everyone because they want everyone to go see this movie. Exactly. You, which you gets, see, the problem which is, is yeah. they know so many people out there see three to four movies a year, even less, and they want these to be the movies you see, yep. which means that these have taken over as what people think are cinema. Now, I have a split view on this. I take the view that if you like these movies, as Martin Scorsese has said, fine, go watch them. But it's also go out and seek out films like Silence. Seek out the great ones. You can enjoy both, mm. but please don't look at this and say this is what the new cinema is. This is what has taken over from Scorsese. And Hitchcock, as uh, Scorsese referred to um, in great detail in his essay, all the other greats of the 30s and throughout. Yeah. Um... Look... Let's first acknowledge the absurdity of everything that's happened in this universe. In this universe. Not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. to date since the Big Bang. So when Scorsese (laughs) made these comments, it was like a month ago. And now we are a month fast forward and... We're still talking about it. This is the debate of our times. And I I don't think he saw this happening. I don't think he saw this spiraling. I know. And to the extent that Martin Scorsese has to write a New York Times op-ed to clarify his point He's getting so many negative points. Yeah. Well, And and it's not... And he's right. He didn't actually say, don't see Marvel movies. He says, I've seen some of them. I don't especially like them. 
and it's the, on. And earlier in my life, I might have. Is the point he made the best uh, take on this? Uh, the ironic take from uh, from film Twitter was this tweet which said, "If Martin Scorsese is so good, where is Martin Scorsese too?" <laughs> 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 we, we do have to acknowledge, though, this comment did come out at the time where a film, a, a comic book adaptation, not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're talking about Joker, which Monsk says he was previously attached to, did come out. Um, yeah, but he pulled out. He's a man of his word. He he creatively disagreed with uh, what they were doing and decided not to produce it. Which, is, though, still very heavy. We do have to acknowledge still very influenced by his but work, but may- not, not not his tag, no tag on it. Maybe he was creeped out by, by that. It's like It's like, you know, meeting your stalker. Right, like here's a movie that's exactly here's your Rupert Pupkin. Yeah, in, here's in, your in Rupert movie, Pupkin. In movie form. That's that's a great way of putting it. Um, I I th- agree with the ma- vast majority of what he said. I really liked the line in his op-ed where he said that uh, that nominally these are sequels, but in spirit, really they're remakes, and that the films are so samey. Um, I I hate when you're talking about how big a controversy this has become. It's because these films have such a, a squad of cheerleaders around them. There's the angry nerds who mob anyone who uh, publicly from a big, you know, from a, a large enough platform dares to speak out against them. The media adores these films. Um, it's about time more people loudly said their crap because it's like, it's like where is the counterculture gone? Is our film culture in- meant to be entirely fixated upon these empty spectacles? The response from the aforementioned cheerleaders is, well, there's plenty of movies out there. There's plenty of alternatives. You can go see Pain and Glory or The Lighthouse or, or Parasite. But they're not getting the runs. They're not getting the runs that they did 10 years ago. I wonder yeah. if these people were as into cinema 10 years ago so they can see the difference. I remember that there was more variety in the kind of films that made it to art house cinemas in Australia 10, 15 years ago. I remember smaller, slower-paced films getting a release that today would be straight to iTunes, if that. And I want to just make the point, we talk about art house cinemas, and we live in Sydney, we're fortunate, and that we have so many cinemas around us. I spent a lot of time in rural Australia in towns where, if you're lucky, there's a twin cinema. And if you're a twin cinema and you need to get bums on seats, you're Marvel. worried about closing down, you're going to get a film that people are going to go to. And if you can only screen two films a night, you're going to screen the Marvel film once or twice, and you're probably not going to have a chance to screen Portrait of Lady on Fire, and that's a big problem. Yeah, I agree. Um, I liked his point that these films are just tested... They're completely safe. I One of the nerd responses I've seen to this is like, you know, the old man yells at cloud, shut up, boomer. This is just like old people not understanding rap music or metal. No. Those also, are... it's factually incorrect. Martin Scott says he was 1946, so he's predating the boomers. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, these are not some grassroots, uh, you know, cultural development that old people don't understand. For Martin Scorsese, this is like deja vu of the the terrible musicals that flooded the marketplace in when his childhood before the a French lot of those knew. Were great. A lot of musicals are great, but there are they a lot of top build as the top films. But there were a lot of terrible ones that nobody watches or remembers these days. I'm not here to, to crap on musicals. I'm just saying there were a lot of crap movies. We need more of those. I, I, I want to expand upon the idea of uh, these films being tested and flattened out because I think it's an important point and it goes to what uh, Scott says he's talking about what he considers cinema to be because when he's talking about cinema he's talking about risk taking and he's talking about because when you have a Marvel film which has been 
tested and like you know there are focus groups and there are test audiences who basically verified it becomes a commodity which is basically saying this is no longer a film it's a safe business product mm. what are these you know it's basically guaranteeing you a return not as a cinematic art form but Matt basically as a business proposition had a hilarious phrase for it which is movie flavored product but I think it's more than that it's a happy meal it's something that is easily packaged easily sellable and which you know you're not going to be disappointed you're going to go away feeling full rather than necessarily satisfied or enriched I I hate drawing the food analogy that people have, and I think it's quite fair. Um, we can't always, uh, yes, it's quick, and you know it's there, and you know it's just going to be fine. And Macca's and KFC, it's across the street, and we can just grab it. But I used can, to love Happy Meals at a certain out. age, but now it's. Yeah. And you know, I don't mind, um, I don't eat Happy Meals, but I don't mind some Macca's chips a few times a year, and that's enough for me. I'd rather something yeah. else, something more fulfilling. A lot of people have pointed out that there have always been blockbusters. And uh, so, and the, as I was saying before, the argument about there's still choice. Scorsese, I think, is right, though, um, because this is sucking up so much of the attention. It's um, like all of all anyone seems to want to talk about and all the movie press seems to want to talk about and all anyone seems to want to buy tickets to is Marvel films. Scorsese made the point that people retorted to him saying this is a question of supply and demand and this is what the public wants. But I think he's right when he says no. Corporations have control over what comes into cinemas. Disney play hardball with theaters saying you, you if you want to play... If you want future access to our films, you need to give us a huge amount of screens and a huge amount of screening times. Um, I think people go to the only thing they have the option to. I think I know that a large amount of older cinema goers and people because not you might not know this given the way that they're covered, but there are a large amount of people out there who don't care about superheroes, and they just no longer go to the cinemas anymore because they're not being catered to. And we and we want and doesn't have to be great art films, but something distinct. Something it doesn't even have to be commenting the superhero genre, just something that is not as has been said, commodified. And we've always talked we've always had the term long before Marvel Cinematic Universe about popcorn cinema. But this is taking it to a This is reaching the point level. where it's squeezing out the non popcorn product. They're getting less screening times, less um attention. There's one thing that Scorsese said where I think I disagree with him to some extent. I do think that the theatrical experience is great and beautiful. Of course, we all do here. We're film nerds. But to some extent, um, I, I feel like cinemas rolling on um, and other platforms being the place for films that aren't superhero movies is just kind of something that's going to happen anyway. Like, I don't know. The talk about threats to cinema's existence has been going on since TV, VHS, Etc. Etc. Every time there's some kind of new home viewing experience, but now it's strangely from within. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like Netflix really is so convenient for people that it's almost inevitable that people that less people will go to the cinemas. But I do think you should seek out The Irishman in cinemas before you have the opportunity to see it on Netflix. Well, it opens yes. tomorrow at the Ritz and Orpheum yes. and a few other places for a uh, one-week run. And look, one of my life goals is before I die or before I retire is to have a private cinema in my house. So, you know, if it doesn't work out, if I, we can't go to cinemas, we bring the cinemas literally to our basement. You can bring Scorsese literally to your private cinema and, and watch... Yeah, we can hang out. I think he'll watch be Watch cool. the Red Shoes with him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, actually, Red Shoes, musical. I think that I think that'd be no, I think it'll be fun. So we, yeah. we hope if you Scorsese, if you Martin, if you're listening, come join us and watch the, yeah. the red shoes. Hey, I'm Marty. Fun. Yeah, we yeah. love you. So Marty McFly. This debate will be in cinemas and everywhere else for quite some time. We'll, if you want, if you have an opinion, let us know. You want something to fight about something? Let us know. But we will continue talking about this, and we we have talked about it before. We will continue talking about it because it is possibly the major issue facing cinema at the moment. One of the major issues. It seems like the, it's the only one people want to talk about anyway. 
So a couple of things that are cool things that are happening around town. Um, British Film Festival in full swing. Um, they lost the World Cup uh, the other day. It was it was it was great. It was glorious. But um, the British Film Festival Glenn represents you, South Africa. Just it, so you know, it was wonderful. But if you feel like something British and you know they're out of the World Cup and can't stand to hear about Brexit anymore, that is happening. They have a Dave Patel movie, so I'm going to watch one because I want to continue my streak of hating Dave Patel movies. That's, and I'll, I'm going to see if I like it. It's personal studio, David Copperfield, screening at Palace Central at 6 o'clock on Saturday night, as well as a few other places. Also screening um, is the Jewish International Film Festival at the Ritz. Um, the Golem is screening next Tuesday night, and uh, the Synonyms, it, which everyone has raved about, is screening next Monday night yeah, at 8.45. Yeah, the new restoration of the Golem I missed at Sydney Film Festival, so... Um, yeah, here's an opportunity to catch it again if you also missed it because it sold out. Okay. Oh, is it? It sold out at SFF. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm also cool. screening, oh, actually not screening, but Kino Cabaret, the great filmmaking of City Filmmakers, is starting next Friday. Do register at kinocity.com. We've talked about it before. Chris and I will be there. It's great. Basically, if ever you've wanted to dip your toe into making films but been afraid and not knowing when to start, Kino Cabaret will surround you with people who will help you out. It's a lot of fun. Highest recommendation. Um, there's the Keanu Marathon that's happening every Friday at the Ritz, my private Idaho screening this weekend. The Russian Resurrection Film Festival is opening tomorrow night at Benson was George Street, running for 10 days. I'll be there. Come say hi. It's going to be a great night. There's a, always a lot a lot of fun, the party as well as the film. Um, the Australian Art Gallery, New South Wales screening series is happening right now. I was there today at the um, Japanese Supernatural exhibition. It's gorgeous, so do check it out. Static Vision is screening Long Day's Journey tonight. Encore screening second time next Tuesday, 7pm. screening sold out. At Palace Central. And next week, we're coming back talking The Irishman, The Report, the new Adam Driver film, and Bad Lieutenant on our Movie of the Week segment as requested. Yeah, the, these guys didn't watch it, but they will for next week. <laughs> we promise. We know we've already announced, but we will be yes, watching it we next will week. Cover we, it. we were bad lieutenants. But not as bad as Nick Cage, but. So stay Pretty tuned bad. for The Sonic Assassin. There's been Glenn Fowling and Chris Evans and Rotney Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Good night.